And you know what? If, if you feel like we're messing up or we're boring or whatever, here's what you do. You pray for us. <laughs> See, regularly you're used to being, you know, we're critics. You know, we, we leave a, mo- a movie and we criticize that. We leave a class, we criticize that. Okay, you know, if you want to do that later, that's fine. But while you're in here, if you could pray for us, that'd be really cool. And uh, it's funny, God already changed the opening. Who knows what else he's going to be up to. Um, told me to open with something else. And then they did the song, Nothing is as Lovely, Nothing is as Wonderful, which is exactly what he told me to open with. So, anyway. Um, I've had the opportunity to do some pretty cool, unusual stuff in my life and to work with some pretty neat people, even famous people. And nothing... Nothing, nothing, nothing is as wonderful as living your life with God. Nothing is as big an adventure. I mean, I got a lot of people nodding. Those are the ones that have been on the adventure. Nothing rivals it. Um, that's the ultimate person to know. And um, how many of you would be ready for this to be the best year ever? Like, better than any year you ever lived. Okay, cool. Has anybody here worked with a personal trainer before, like to get in shape? Okay, was it easier to stay on track with somebody helping you? Okay. Well, spiritually we can get in better shape too, and it helps when we have a personal trainer. And what's going to happen over the course of the next few weeks is that we're going to be each other's personal trainers for spiritual exercising. Oh, everybody's thrilled about that. Okay. Let's start with the scripture, Hebrews 11, verse 6. You'll notice we didn't do a PowerPoint this time, and we didn't hand out anything for you to write on, and that's because we really want you to focus on the heart of this message, what God's trying to communicate, the why. You are going to get a bunch of paper to walk out the door with. That's the how. So if, if you're feeling shortchanged, don't. It's just coming a little later. Um, Hebrews 11:6 and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So let's pray for a second. Lord, we do seek you in this new year and in each day of our lives. And I ask Lord that right now you would wipe away everything that would distract us from focusing on you that would keep us from hearing your voice, from feeling your love for us and your great plans for us. And we just command all those distractions to leave now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we give the next um, few minutes to you. And we surrender that to you. And we surrender our attention to you. And we even surrender our likes and dislikes. And we want to hear what you like, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so that says he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Other words, the Bible uses are pursue. And the idea is that Christianity is not a belief system. I, I grew up hearing that that's what it was. I don't know if any of you did that. You know, some people believe this and some people believe that. And I was in the that mode, and so I'm a Christian, and so that's what Christianity is. How boring is that? Um, it's not a belief system, it's a lifestyle where what you believe becomes what you act on. It's not just something you agree with in your head and that's it. If, if you don't act differently, then you didn't really believe it. Let's say I told you right now that tomorrow morning there's some business in town that's going to give away $2,000 cash to the first 100 people at their door. And let's say you believe me, I have some proof or something. What would you do when you left here? Go straight over there, spend the night, be number one. Exactly, that's what I would do. And the reasons I wouldn't do it is if I, if I didn't believe it or if I believed, okay, I'm not going to get there in time or they're not really going to give it to me or there's 100 people there already, okay? So what you believe affects how you act, and that's the whole idea behind Christianity. That word pursue in the Bible means to seek, to crave, to demand, The dark side of it would be an addiction. If you've ever battled an addiction or known someone who has, they will do anything to get what they need. They'll do stuff they would never do in their right mind because they've got to have that gambling, that alcohol, whatever it is. 
That's the word we're talking about in a positive way. It's used about a hundred times in the Bible. It's usually used when enemies are pursuing some, you know, their enemy. So that means I'm going to chase you down, catch you. I'm going to hunt you down like a dog. Right? Because if I don't, then you're going to turn around and kill me and kill my people. Okay? That's the picture in the Bible, and that's the same word used for pursuing God and seeking him. Seek means to ask for, require, demand, beg for, crave. That's the biblical meaning. Another meaning for it in the New Testament is something you would study. Like if you wanted a black belt, you would study that for a long time and practice it. King David said in one of the Psalms, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's Psalm 63. And notice he wasn't saying it as some kind of spiritual thing. Lord, my spirit longs for you. Yeah, okay, that too. But he said, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. It was all of him, his body, his soul, and his spirit. And in our culture, when we hear about that kind of passion, it's usually romantic love, right? I mean, there's probably a million songs out there that in one way or another say, I can't live without you, I'd do anything for you, I'm nothing without you, you know, that kind of stuff. That's part of our design. There is something in us that makes us feel incomplete without somebody else. The trick is, it's God. It's like magnetic forces. God's wanting to come near to us, and we are attracted to him because we have this need for something that's missing. Okay? The problem is sometimes you try to put other things in its place. And when you try to fill that with, if I only had this person in my life, a spouse, a child, if I didn't have this spouse or if I didn't have this child, if I only had a job, if I had a different job, if I had more money, if I, you know, all that, it's not going to satisfy you. Not that those things are necessarily wrong. It's just it's not going to meet the need you have, which is this incredible passion where you've got to have God or bust. Okay, But we're not raised to really you know, recognize that. Um, in the first letter from Paul to Timothy, he tells him, but you, man of God, flee from all this bad stuff and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue, that's an active word, right? That doesn't mean you become a Christian, you show up in church once a week, and it just kind of falls on you, right? All of a sudden, you're righteous. All of a sudden, you're peaceful. I just, sorry, if, if that's what somebody sold you, they, false advertising. Um, it helps, you know, but it, it doesn't get you there. There's this pursuit thing. Second letter from Paul to Timothy. I don't know, maybe Timothy didn't get it the first time, or just Paul thought it was important. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So that's some of the stuff we're supposed to pursue as well as God is peace. Seek peace and pursue it. That's Psalm 34. And righteousness. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. And if you're wondering what that word righteousness means, it's when you do things that you don't deserve to be punished for. There's a feeling of justice with it. You don't need to apologize for it. You're not going to get punished for it because it's the right thing to do. That's righteousness. It's godliness, too. I heard someone say something about righteousness, and I want to quote it because she did it so well. She said, we should pursue righteousness so that there is no landing strip for the enemy in your life. In this way, there will be no blocks to the blessings of God in your life. And that's a great definition of sin. Blessings are wanting to land, but they can land because the airstrip is full of other stuff, like, you know, sin. And that keeps the blessings from landing, and it does it in two ways, and, and maybe a practical example would be good. Um, I'm married to David. God says that he wants to bless marriages, okay, with unity and lots of good stuff. That's what he wants to send down. But let's say I'm cheating on David. i got a couple of boyfriends on the side, Okay. It's probably obvious. I don't, but let's just assume for a moment. Um, it's probably obvious how that's going to keep blessings from falling on the marriage, okay? I'm going to be feeling guilty. I might disrespect him because, dummy, he hasn't been able to figure it out yet, okay? I might be afraid that he'll find out. He probably will find out. Okay, it's probably pretty obvious how that's not going to work. But it's more than that. If you knew that I was cheating on him, would you be able to listen to what I'm saying right now? Would I have any credibility with you? I'm here to talk about God, but I'm cheating on my husband. No. 
So that's a place for Satan to land and mess up not only my marriage, but also my ability to reach people for him. Okay? So he's taking up that landing strip pretty good. Okay. That's a good reason not to sin. So Christianity is this active, purposeful thing where you're pursuing God, pursuing righteousness. And while you're doing that, there's two things pursuing you, and I've probably already mentioned them. Can anybody tell me one thing pursuing you? Blessings. Deuteronomy 28.2 says, All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. And there's some versions that say these blessings will accompany you. I don't like those because the Hebrew word means they'll be able to reach you. Kind of like the landing strips open, they can land. They'll be able to reach you. So I really like this idea of blessings overtaking me. Okay? And those happen when I'm pursuing God. I'm moving. If something overtakes you, you're probably not sitting still. Okay? I'm pursuing God, and the blessings overtake me. What's the other thing that's chasing me? And you, and you. How about Satan? The Bible says Satan roams the earth seeking whom he may devour. That's 1 Peter 5.8. And the way the message uh, paraphrase puts it, the devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Okay? He's not looking to catch you pursuing God. He's looking to catch you napping because he's lazy and that's when it's easy to catch you. Okay? Now, I'm not real worried about the devil because I've learned that he's, like, really, really small. He's like my neighbor's little dog that yaps and yaps, and he bears his teeth at me whenever he gets out into our yard. And it's like he's saying in dog language, I'm really bad. I'm going to bite you. Don't come any closer. And all I do is take one step, and off he goes because it's my yard. Okay. Now, I'm not stupid. I don't chase it down and try to grab it because then it probably would bite me. Okay. But when I take a step towards it, it runs away, and that's what the Bible says uh, the devil will do. Resist Satan and he will flee from you. So I'm not real worried about him chasing me. I'm concerned with chasing God and chasing righteousness and keeping my landing strip clean. Okay. So what's Christianity supposed to be like? Are we supposed to be living like Christ? Is that the idea behind Christian like Christ, right? So what did Christ do when he was on earth? Anybody. He healed the sick. And it wasn't even like he developed some wonderful, you know, medicine. I mean, he just, like, prayed for them, and boom, they were healed. Okay, what else? Raised the dead. He taught people. He prayed. You know what I think is really neat, almost even better, and maybe it is better than raising the dead. He took people who had been labeled as total losers and had accepted that label, and he gave them hope, and he helped them feel better about themselves and understand that's not what they were. And here they'd been living their whole life, letting people treat them like dirt because they thought they were losers. And he was able to change their minds in, like, one conversation. I mean, I just find that miraculous. And you know what he said? He predicted what Christianity would be like. When he was getting ready to go up to heaven, okay, he's, he's saying goodbye to his friends. He's in the elevator about to push the button. He says, I want you to go tell people about me. And they're going to believe, and these signs will accompany those who believe. And he talked about a bunch of stuff like you won't, be, you won't get hurt, you'll pray for the sick, and they'll get healed. And that's in Mark 16. And it says, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Okay. We've talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that is near, the kingdom of God that is here, the kingdom of God that is in us. Does that sound like the kingdom of God when sickness can't overtake somebody's life, death can't overtake their life, despair can't overtake their life? Because you talk about God and stuff happens. That sounds like the kingdom of God to me, and that's my goal, that I'll be able to talk to people and stuff happens, and I don't have to convince them. I walk in a room, the tumor falls off, And they say, how did that happen? And I say, oh, that's God. He really is real, and he really is powerful, and he does love you. You want to hear about him? I mean, that seems to me like a much easier way to get into this conversation than, you know, anyway, trying to talk him into it. Okay, so how many of you on a daily basis have dead people jumping up and sick people being healed? And Yeah, me neither. However, that's my goal and, you know, working at it. 
I want to read you a little devotional. I get these devotionals in my email every morning because that helps me stay in the Bible and get some verses in me even when, like, I'm undisciplined and don't go get the Bible myself. They come to me, you know, kind of like delivery um, pizza. I get delivery word. Um, and one of them came in December, and it, it talks so well about why we don't experience all this. I want to read it to you. It's not very long. It's called the gospel. That means the good news of the kingdom. And he starts with a verse, Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we want. We want his will done here. He says, imagine that you have never driven a car. You're not aware of all the features of a car. Up to this point, you have had to walk everywhere you go. All you're told is that you're about to receive something that will get you anywhere you need to go. The day arrives and you're given a brand new car. No payment book. So he didn't say that. You get in and drive the car. However, the emergency brake is on, preventing you from going faster than 20 miles per hour. No one tells you you should unlock the brake. Regardless, you are excited because you no longer have to walk to your destination. You are not told that the car has lights, which would help you drive at night. Neither are you told about the many other wonderful features of the car. You just know you have a new car that will get you anywhere you want to go at 20 miles an hour, and so for the rest of your life, you drive this incredible car during the daytime only at 20 miles per hour, and probably with no air conditioning, but anyway. Why would Jesus pray that things in earth would be like they are in heaven if it were not possible? When Jesus came to earth, he came in order to penetrate the very kingdom of darkness with light. He came to bring healing to sickness, replace sadness with joy, and fill meaninglessness with purpose. He came to change things for the better for a world that had no hope outside of God. Using the illustration above, Jesus did not come to merely give us a ticket to heaven, a car you can only drive 20 miles an hour in the daytime. He came to bring us much more, the kingdom of God on earth. Nowhere in the Bible will you find the term gospel of salvation. It's not there. The closest thing is the good news of your salvation. There's no gospel. I looked to see if he was right. There's no gospel of salvation. The church does not exist for heaven, but for earth. If it existed only for heaven, then each of us would immediately be taken to heaven. You know, you accept Christ and beam me up, right? So why does he leave us here? I have asked that a lot. There would be no reason for us to remain on earth. So why has God allowed us to receive this new birth and remain on earth? It is so that we might bring the kingdom of God into our world, our families, our workplace, and our communities. God wants you to bring the kingdom of God into the territory he has given you so that his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your domain is your workplace, family, and community. Ask God to show you how he wants to penetrate the darkness of your domain with his light. Then you will see and experience all the features of this gift that has been given to you. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't that like the kingdom of God? Like, okay, we're getting somewhere, but it's not everything that he predicted. And, you know, it's not just about doing miracles and raising the dead and stuff. It all starts with hearing from God. And I used to think that only special people could hear from God, like prophets or people who've been studying the Bible for 80 years or something. But John 10:27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Let me break this down for you. When it says, My sheep hear my voice, he's not talking about sound waves hitting my eardrum. Okay? He's talking about recognizing his voice, knowing it's him, and understanding what he's saying. Okay, if one of you stood up and talked in Chinese right now, I would hear you. But that's not the kind of hearing he's talking about, because I'd have no clue what you were saying. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. That doesn't mean he knows my name and serial number. It means he knows me intimately, better than anybody. He knows what I need. He knows what I can do. He knows what his plans are for me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And it In the Greek, it's not so much like following behind someone. It's more like joining their company. And so imagine that your most favorite singer in the whole world is coming to San Antonio. They're on tour of the world, and they're coming to San Antonio, and you get tickets not just to the concert, but you get a backstage pass. So you go to the concert. I'm going to imagine you put everything else aside. You surrender the Tuesday night poker game or whatever it is you do for fun, right? Because this is your favorite singer, and he's coming to town. Okay, or she. You go to the concert. You get backstage, and you're saying, oh, you're wonderful. I'm your biggest fan. And 
They say, hey, that's cool. Why don't you come with us? Why don't you join our company? Why don't you come tour the world with us? That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. That's what his sheep do. And I know that this year, we are each going to go with him to different places. Might be the places we go all the time. I know some of you are going overseas on the Jesus tour, right? Right? Okay. Help him, Lord. Um, Okay, so we need to become more sensitive seekers so we can hear that voice. I think that's where it starts. Before you can even get to healing somebody, you need to know that God wants to heal them, right? I mean, does that work for you? Okay. Imagine this. Imagine that USAA is sending David overseas for two years, and I can't go with him. Okay, so I'm not going to see him. Our main methods of communication, phone, email. And you see me in a couple of weeks, and I'm telling you, I haven't heard from David. I just don't know what to do. I really miss him. I need to hear his voice. I got some decisions to make on some bills and stuff, and I need to hear what he wants to do. And he just hasn't called me. He's called other people, but he hasn't called me. I guess he doesn't love me anymore. Okay. And you come to my house, and you find that the phone is unplugged. And you look at my cell phone, and the battery's not charged, and I haven't charged it for, you know, months. And you ask me, when's the last time you checked the email? And I say, I don't know, about a year ago. <laughs> That's a joke for those of you who know me, but okay. The point is he might be trying to call me three times a day, but I can't hear the phone ringing because it's unplugged or the battery's not charged. And that's the way it is with God. He's trying to talk to us all the time, but we don't necessarily know how to plug that phone in or raise the volume or whatever it takes. And that's some of what we're going to be learning today and in the weeks to come. So you can hear from God. And then when you can hear from God, you can do God's stuff. Good? Okay. First, you've got to expect God to come. You've got to expect God to talk to you. And then you've got to be sensitive to his presence. So we're going to become more sensitive seekers. We're all seeking God. Even if you found him enough to be saved, there's still so much more of him to discover. If we're in heaven a million years, we're still going to be seeing a new side of God each day and going, holy. Okay, that's what the Bible says. I know you don't get the emphasis in the Bible the way I do it, but it's holy. That's, that's what it's going to be like. Okay. All right, so how do we get more sensitive? Paul, again, told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 6, exercise yourself toward godliness. you got to exercise. Well, you're used to physical exercise. We're talking about spiritual exercise for hundreds and hundreds of years. They've called those the spiritual disciplines. And there's several that are standard that people have been doing for a long time, and they work. And some of those are things like um, Bible study and prayer and meditation, but also servanthood, simplicity, simplifying your life so you can pay more attention to God. And part of what happened with the church is that it kind of went, you know, human beings tend to go from one extreme to the other. And there was a time when in the church there was all this talk about all the stuff you have to do in order to get to heaven, or in order to keep your salvation, okay? You got to do, 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 do. Okay, well, that's do, do, yeah. There's, there's nothing you do that earns you salvation, okay? You are saved by faith, by faith through grace, okay? Nothing you do. However, the pendulum then swung all the other way to where most of us have heard that you don't have to do anything. You just believe this intellectual thing on God, and, you know, that's it, and off to heaven you go. And the Bible's full of stuff that Christians are supposed to do, not necessarily to get into heaven, but Jesus didn't come just to give us a ticket to heaven. He came to give us an abundant life. And you do these things, you have an abundant life. But there are stuff to do, like, you know, pursuing God, pursuing righteousness. And so, just like if you want good physical health, don't look at me as a model, but... You need to eat right and sleep enough and exercise. If you want good spiritual health and that abundant life in your spirit and in your relationships, there's things you need to do, and some of it is exercise. Ephesians 4.12 says the job of leaders in a church is to equip or prepare Christians to do what God wants them to do. And I like the message paraphrase. It says, he handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor-teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work 
working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. Does that sound like the abundant life, fully alive like Christ? Does that sound like the kingdom? So, okay, so we're called to equip you, to give you the tools you need to do whatever you're supposed to do. And today, that tool, that spiritual discipline, that exercise, is something called fasting. And sometimes people hear fasting and they think that means you don't eat anything for eight years. Fasting means you deny yourself something in order to seek God, to make more room for God. It can be not eating, but it can be other things, too. In the Old Testament, it generally meant not eating or not eating certain things. And the word actually means to shut your mouth. So Daniel fasted for a while from meats and sweets. He shut his mouth to dessert and to meat and just ate fruits and vegetables for several weeks in order to seek God. But I looked up what it meant in the English because when you're on a fast, it doesn't go fast. So I didn't know what that fast thing meant. And, excuse me, it comes from an old English word, fasten, which means to fasten. Because they understood a thousand years ago that fasting was something that fastened you to God, that brought you close to God, that helped secure your walk with God. So that's pretty cool. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The point of teaching and training is so that you have the equipment to go do stuff. Okay, That's what we're trying to do today. And we're not just going to talk about fasting. We're actually all going to exercise together. Yes. Randy and Clara are inviting us, and the biblical word is calling us, to join together in a 40-day fast where each one of us Ask God, okay, what's something I can abstain from or hold back from in order to hear better from you? And not only that, but we're also going to be reading certain scriptures and praying about certain things on each day together. And we're going to give you a bunch of paper to help with that. Um, the idea is, even though we're not going to be in one room doing something together, we're all one in the spirit. And on the spiritual realm, we're all going to be doing something together. And if you look in the Bible, every major character in the Bible fasted, especially Jesus, But most of the time, it was corporate fast. Corporate means one body. So it's a team thing a lot of the time, and that's what we're doing now. Uh, We're going to start this on the 15th. We've got time to figure out what God's doing. And when we say fast or fasting, I want you to think of the word and prayer, okay, because they go together. It doesn't make much sense to fast without the prayer. And it's kind of like if I told you somebody won something, I don't have to say, Rick won and received a new car. I would say he, he won a new car, and you would assume, right? Okay, so when I say fasting, you think and very good. Okay, cool. David's going to come up now, and I want to tell you something about him. Um, no, it's not embarrassing. I've got plenty of those. But not that many. Um, when God started showing me that he had plans for us as a team, one of the things that I was blown away by was that Here's the guy that God talks to. God talks to him, and he actually listens. And I don't know what I was more surprised by, the fact that God talked to him or the fact that he actually listened and did what God said, because I've known so many people that didn't. Um, And since then, I've learned to hear God better myself. He talks to me, too, and he talks to all of you. And I've met a lot of people who hear from God um, and even do what he says, but I'm still, like, so jazzed that I'm hooked up with somebody who who hears and who does. So listen to him. (laughs) Thank you. I want to make sure that everybody's real clear that the two things that she talked about were examples. Nothing like that is going on in our lives. We have a great marriage, so... Nobody's cheating on anybody. Nobody's going anywhere. It's funny because when we were practicing this, 
the one thing that I didn't know was going to happen was how she was going to introduce me. And so I was caught a little bit off guard, but I asked her earlier. And uh, so she had told me a little bit, but um, I'm honored. And I'm going to tell you what, it's all I can do to, to try to keep up with her. I mean, I was, I'm astounded by Miss Mariana. So how many of you guys have, have heard us teach before? Wow. Okay. So, I don't know if you, it, but it's so intermittent. I don't know if anybody's picked up on any themes or anything, but just in preparing for this, one thing I noticed was, uh, just in thinking back, was that we seem to be bringing messages that are pointing toward exhorting a lifestyle of Christianity. That it, it is a lifestyle. It's a way to live. It's a 24-7 proposition. It's not something you just do every once in a while. The last time, it was probably a couple of months ago, we had talked about developing a lifestyle of giving. And today, our exhortation to you is to add spiritual disciplines to your life um, if you haven't already. And obviously with a focus on fasting. Several years ago, we had a... uh, we had a correspondence class that we, two-year program that we took, that me and seven other people took here. It's called the Vineyard Leadership Institute. And one of the classes, there was a, there was a time where we studied the spiritual disciplines. And we talked and learned about fasting. And we agreed that it was the wrong word, because it doesn't go fast depending on what it is. So we changed it. And we, whenever we'd see each other, because we, I think we did a fast, we would say, hey, taking it slow, hey? Eh? <laughs> it was pretty cool. So anyway. Okay, so what's fasting? It's a believer's abstinence for spiritual purposes. It could be from a substance like um, some type of food or drink, or you could abstain from some kind of activity like watching TV, surfing the Internet, or instant messaging till wee hours of the morning. I was, uh, for those of you who don't know, I graduated from Texas A&M. And uh, now that it's basketball season, I've been following the basketball team. And our women's basketball coach literally confiscates all the girls' cell phones at 10 o'clock the night before there's a game because they will stay up all night Instant messaging, text messaging, till the wee hours of the morning. And I want to mention before I forget this, because I think uh, believe God prompted me to mention in terms of an activity, is um, you could maybe fast from playing video games or computer games. So, anyway, just want to make sure I don't forget that. Now I can hear I can I can hear some of you going, aha, finally. There's a formula that I can apply to my spiritual life. As Lee Corso might say, not so fast, my friend. There are no formulas with God because it's based on an individual relationship with Him that's created through belief in Jesus Christ and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I do want to share with you the closest thing to a formula that I have found in the Bible. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it's recorded that God spoke through a prophet that I honor those who honor me. I honor those who honor me. And when I saw that, I was just like, whoa, that explains a lot. Um, Referring back to our lesson on giving... And one of the things that we mentioned as being important was that um, God looks at the heart. And Scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. So if we give begrudgingly or we give to get something in return, that's not giving that honors God. So guess what? He has every right not to honor that giving. Now, can you see how this concept might apply to virtually every facet of our lives? 
Just think of it. God honors those who honor Him. Now, we'll put a, I want to put a quick plug for in here for just Bible reading, which is another spiritual discipline. And no one taught me this idea about the honoring uh, God. I discovered it in the course of my own personal Bible reading. And I promise you, there are things waiting in your own Bibles for you to find. And so what I want you to think of your Bible as, it's not, don't think of it as a Bible anymore. It's a DVD. And it's got Easter eggs in it. Okay? It's those hidden special features that are just waiting for you to find them. And God says, those who seek will find. Okay. So fasting is an important discipline to add to our Christian walk. As long as we remember that it's why we do it that's most important. Because we're never going to find a way to manipulate God. Now, the Bible is very clear that we are spiritual beings who have a soul and live in a body. Our soul is described as our mind, our will, and our emotions. Since we are spirit, that's what's supposed to be in charge. But due to the sin of Adam and Eve, the spirit, which is supposed to be in first place, guess what? It starts out in last place. Okay, and so you think about infants, if you will. There's a couple. There's a couple. Sorry, there's a couple in the room. Um, you think about it. Their bodies are really driving all their behavior at this point in time. Okay, they have very basic physical needs, and they, boy, they let us know it too, don't they? And as they grow, we see their minds develop, their wills develop. We see emotions develop. And you wouldn't know anything about that with five dollars, would you? Yeah. Anyway, so now it's not necessarily in that order. But guess what? Their spirits are developing too. Now, if you're aware of that, as family or friends, you can help nurture their spirits. And help them get their spirits in charge at a relatively young age. Now, my parents didn't know this. So what got fed most of my life was my soul and my body. And my body's still getting fed too much, but that's another message. But my spirit knew where it was supposed to be. So it was trying to fight as best as it could. So I had all these components. I've got the spirit. I've got the the emotions, the will, the mind. Got all this stuff working in me. And it's basically essentially at war with each other to see which one's going to have the greater influence over me at any given point in time. And I believe this dynamic is happening, happens in everyone in some unique fashion. Um, I think it explains a lot of things about society and interacting with with each other. Now, the Apostle Paul describes this inner struggle as appropriately as a struggle of against sin in chapters um, seven and eight of the Book of Romans. So, if you want a little more detail on that, you can check that out. Now, by the grace of God, I was in this church when I had my meltdown when I in my early 40s. And it was at that time that I really, truly began my process of surrendering to God and seeing Him become active in my life. Now, if you don't believe inner conflict happens, let me give you a specific example. You don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to, but how many of you have ever tried to smoke? Okay. <laughs> okay, so what happened with the first puff? Anybody? Yeah. Coughing, hacking, choking, all that kind of good stuff. Your body is saying, no. And, so, and you know, sometimes the body says it loud enough and the emotions are okay and everything else is okay. 
And that's the end of it. But what if the emotions jump in and say, you know what? If you don't learn to do this, you're never going to fit in. And so you take that second puff and the third and the fourth, and you hack your way through a couple of packs of cigarettes, but you force your body to accept it. Now, can you, I, we don't won't go into any other specific examples, but can you think of a lot of other things that we force our bodies? Our will forces our bodies to do so many things that our mind and our spirits know it shouldn't. Not that that's a source of conflict either. And there may even be demonic pressure. And each one of us unique faces hundreds of opportunities like this throughout our lifetime. So can you see how it would make a big difference if your spirit was in charge as much as possible? Does that make sense? Now, I've hinted at a couple of reasons why you might not want to fast. One, your body and or your emotions are going to get into the discussion. Some of you even now are having a response to us even talking about it. Okay? And that's all right. When you actually start, that battle for control could happen. But this is one of those spiritual exercises that Mariana referred to earlier. And we can empower our spirits to overcome the other parts of us. Now there's another player in the, in our saga. And that's the devil and his demons. They know the power and effectiveness of fasting because they've seen it for thousands of years, both on an individual level and a corporate level. They're going to try to stop us or at least hinder us. But I believe that's why that we've laid this foundation of the, the teaching of the effectiveness of the kingdom of God because we should be established that we are co-heirs with Christ and we are co-heirs of the kingdom of God. And if we keep hold of that identity, we're going to overcome or conquer everything that the devil throws at us. And we're going to see God's purposes occur. As Mariana mentioned earlier, the scripture about resist the devil and he'll flee. Okay, so why fast? You know, talked about you know, why you might not want to fast. Why would you want to fast? Well, first and foremost, it should be out of love for the Father. Actually, that should be the only motivation that we ever do anything is out of love for the Father. To love and honor our God who saved us and guides us through life. As mentioned, fasting is an important way to empower our spirit to be in charge over our minds and wills. Fasting facilitates surrender. The more we surrender to God, the more effective we'll be. I can't stress how important surrender is. And lest anyone think, okay, they got together with Randy and Randy said something, he just jumped in there and, you know, he didn't have a clue. I mean, not that he doesn't have a clue, but for, (laughs) for this topic and subject of surrender, he didn't know, but he put, but we are one body and once we have one Holy Spirit. And so if you're thinking that that's weird, I will ask you to begin thinking of that as normal. That should be what happens. It should be weird when it doesn't happen. Okay. That's one of my, um, soap boxes and I'll move on. But the prayer that we pray all the time, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, if our will, okay, let's say it's our will that's on that landing strip that Mariana talked about. If our will's on that landing strip, the blessing still can't find a place to land. Okay, so it's critical that we get our will subservient to God's. Because how many times when we pray that prayer, it's actually our will underneath that we're really wanting to see happen. And then we wonder why our prayers are ineffective. 
So fasting is something that strengthens our spirit to deliberately surrender to God. We actually started that process earlier by singing um, the song that we did. Yes, sneaky. Specifically, we asked for that. Now, fasting can lead to greater connection with the Holy Spirit. Since we're spirit, we should be connecting with the Holy Spirit, uh, spirit to spirit. In Galatians 5.22, Paul writes, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And by having greater communion with the Holy Spirit, we're going to see more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because we'll have less of us and more of God. Fasting can be an important part of seeing this happen. Fasting is also a way to free up resources for other use. If you remember, I said that fasting was for spiritual purposes. Here's one way that I utilized fasting in the past. Um, As um, the year 1999 moved into 2000, the Lord impressed upon me a desire to go to a particular church in Toronto, Canada, sometime during that the year 2000. Well, I had two pennies to rub together, but that was about it, <laughs> okay? And so, on the surface, there was no way that I could finance a trip like that. Um, as I shared that with a few people, there were some, some very kind and generous people that um, planted seed in my trip and helped to finance my trip, but the, the bulk of the financing was through fasting. I started fasting every Friday, just a um, plain water fast. And what I did was I figured that I would be spending about $10 that day on food. So I took the $10 that I figured I would have spent and set it aside. Literally in a jar. I would get a $10 bill and I put it in a jar. So after six months or so, I had 250 or so dollars. And that with what the other people had given me, I was on the road. A um, couple of quick other things. Um, be special grace and authority that can come through fasting. And actually, we are expected to fast. Matthew 6.16 records Jesus as saying, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. Now, there are lots of other reasons to fast. Um, I want to share uh, one thing with you. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Mahesh Chavda that has a very large, powerful uh, ministry. And his ministry was essentially built on the fast that he did uh, through in the early years of his ministry. He's been in ministry for 30 years or so. But um, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe in the first 10 years of his ministry, he did 20, 40-day full water-only fasts. And things <laughs> changed for him dramatically. And so this is a gentleman that knows as much about fasting as anyone. And so I want to share uh, his um, viewpoint. If prayer is the capsule containing our gifts and requests to God then fasting is the booster rocket that lifts our prayers beyond the boundaries of earth and into the heavenlies. Fasting provides the oomph of the spirit needed to catapult us beyond the gravity of the flesh and into the very purposes of God. When the corporate prayers of the many joined in the name of Jesus are mounted on the booster rocket of our corporate fasting, our prayers suddenly take on a supernatural power that few on earth have ever seen. You can be sure that Satan fears this holy combination as no other. Every time, every time God's people have dared to lay aside their differences or personal concerns long enough to seek God in prayer and fasting together in one mind and one accord, terrible things have happened to his dark kingdom, while wonderful and miraculous things have happened to mankind. Do we have, can we get a couple of volunteers? Pass out the material. And while we're doing that, I want to talk about some practical aspects of of the fast or fasting. Always focus on Jesus. 
and his sacrifice. Whatever it is that we're giving up on our fast is absolutely nothing compared to the sacrifice that he gave for us. It's a good idea to commit continually to working on getting your spirit in charge of yourself. Seek direction as for what to fast from. And what are you going to do while you're fasting? To, especially if it's an activity, what kind of uh, other activities are you going to take your is going to take your place? Now, if if you're fasting from video games and you watch movies in that time, that's that's not the idea. Okay, um, you know, getting back to God honors those who honors Him. That probably would not be a fast that would honor Him. Um, and you know, in general, you're going to want to do a fast that will honor God. It's got to be something that's important to you. You know, I have fasted over 50 years from Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Hadn't done a thing for me. Okay, so you know. You know, men fasting from childbirth, you know, hey, that's, you know, find, find, <laughs> but seriously, find something that's important to you because you want it to matter. You know, if you're going to go through this exercise, you want it to matter. So find something significant that you're um, giving, essentially giving to God. Um, just remember that failures, um, fall, uh, let me, sorry, let me back up. Remember that failing does not make us failures. All it does is make us experienced. So if you forget what, you know, if you slip and just out of habit, or you do or eat or whatever it is, don't worry about it. Just relax, repent, and start over. You have to ask Randy how much longer you have to fast when if that happens. Okay, a couple of things to watch out for. One is be careful to stay away from an entitlement mentality. You know, was, well, I fasted, so God should have done something. Or, you know, something to that effect. It's not that, you know, remember, there's no formulas, okay? And God looks at the heart. And the other thing is you got to watch out for pride creeping in. You know, it says, I'm a super Christian because I fasted. You know, what are you doing? Kind of thing. Ixnay on that, <laughs> okay? Um, don't let anything be an excuse for not fasting, I don't care who you are, you can find something, okay? If you're a diabetic, you probably can't fast, shouldn't, and probably wouldn't fast from any kind of food. But you can not read your magazines for a month. You could, uh, you know, again, turn the TV off or, or something. Okay, we're going to be, during this time, we're going to be praying for specific things, and you'll have a guide on what to focus your prayer on each day. About half of these prayer points will be related to you and your walk with God, your increased sensitivity to his heart and will. The other purposes are related to our church and the body of Christ in general. And with no further ado, my lovely wife. What we've passed out for you to read at home. There's a letter from Randy and Clara. You can recognize it because it's on letterhead. There's a calendar that lists scriptures and prayer points for each day. And then this little book. A lot of work went into this, so please don't just throw it in the back seat. It does not repeat what we just talked about. Um, this has in the front and back some really good um, tips, instruction, um, stuff to learn how and why to fast. And then in the middle for each week, there's a devotional and there's um, a space for journaling. So that's something that should help you. We have um, some additional material for community group leaders, and we're encouraging the community groups to encourage each other in this. I also, one other tip, um, 
if there's ever been something, particularly recently, if there's something that someone with some spiritual credibility has mentioned to you might be getting in your way, in the way between you and God, and you totally disagree, and you, you could write three pages of why they're wrong, that might be something to consider fasting from just to see what happens. Okay? Um, and I'm telling you that from my own experience. And it doesn't need to be something sinful, okay? Um, but if something, somebody who knows you and who, who's walked with God for a while has suggested this might be getting in the way, you know, that's something to consider and pray about. Um, let's suppose that I was into tennis and Joyce and I played tennis twice a week. And it's not something I do every day, but, man, I think about it every day. I'm watching people play tennis on TV or or I'm buying stuff for my tennis game or I'm reading stuff and and somebody suggests, you know, I think tennis might be getting in your way, you know, might be blocking God from really fully doing stuff in your life. Okay, tennis is not a sin. But I'm going to take him seriously and say, you know what, I'm going to go 30 days and not do anything related to tennis, I mean 40 days, and see what happens. And hopefully Joyce will encourage me okay, and say, I understand what you're doing. I bless what you're doing. I'll pray for you. Maybe she'll even say, you know what? I'm going to try it too. I won't do any tennis stuff for 40 days. Okay, that's the kind of encouragement we should be for each other, all right? And like I said, we all need personal trainers, and there's no official personal trainer here who can train all of you, so it's an each other thing. That's why we're doing it as a body. Um, Hang on to this. While she's doing that, I just want to mention real quick, uh, one of the things the Bible says is that God will confirm his word out of the mouth of two or more witnesses. And I believe that we can take the mention of surrender from two distinct sources today as a sign of what God wants out of this fast. So keep that in mind. Let me tell you a quick story. <clears throat> Over 20 years ago, I met a lady who grew up in Tennessee, and she was a teenager. I think she lived in Memphis. She was a teenager at the time when Elvis was all the rage. And for those of you who are maybe under 40 or 50 years old, you have no idea how big Elvis was. Because we have superstars today, but they've got competition from a bunch of other people. It wasn't like that with Elvis, okay? Well, anyway, so she's like 18 or 19. She told me this story much later. She's 18 or 19, and she's working at the local Sears store. And she doesn't work on the floor. She works in the back office like accounting or something. And when she gets to work one day, they say, the store is going to be closed to the public half the day because Priscilla, Elvis's wife, is coming shopping. And, you know, if she just went shopping on a regular day, there'd be a mob scene. So they have closed the store just for Priscilla so she can go shopping, her and all her, you know, helpers. Okay. So she's not too impressed by this. She loves Elvis, but Priscilla, you know. Um, so she's not going to go and try to look at, you know, what's going on. She just goes in her office. She's doing her work, and the store's kind of quiet, and she's doing her work. And she senses or hears that somebody's at the door. So she looks, and she sees this really muddy pair of boots. And she looks a little further up, and it's these, oh, ratty jeans. And she's thinking, oh, man, this one of Priscilla's people came wandering around and attract mud in my office and bothered me. She just looks up with this disgust in her face and straight into the eyes of Elvis himself. Which immediately she understands. You know, he had to hide. He had to, you know, put on a disguise, basically, to be able to get in the store to go shopping with his wife. That's what he had to do. Well, he looks at her and he gives her that smile. And he's, I mean, she's just there in shock, and he just goes, well, you love me anyway? (laughs) And, of course, that's a story she's going to be telling when she's 90, the day she met the king, right? But I love the story, not because it's Elvis, but because it sounds so much like Jesus. So many times God shows up in a package you don't expect and probably don't like. You know, even in the New Testament, he continually showed up to people, and they didn't recognize him, okay? So you might not like the idea of fasting. You might not like the idea of being told what to do or doing something as a group. I'm going to encourage you to get over the package because there's something really good inside. Okay. Instead of being reluctant to do stuff that will help us get more of the kingdom or experience more of the kingdom, we should be fighting to experience the kingdom. Here's the New Living Translation of Luke 
chapter 16, verse 16. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Until John the Baptist began to preach, the laws of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and eager multitudes are forcing their way in. And the message calls it a compelling invitation, not just good news, but a compelling invitation where multitudes are forcing their way in. And that's what we should be doing. We're going to force our way into the kingdom. We're going to force the kingdom into this realm so people can be healed and people can learn about God and we can be who he created us to be. That's what we're doing through fasting. That's what we're doing through learning something more and and through becoming a little bit uncomfortable so God can do bigger things in us. I want everybody to stand and we're going to pray over you because your assignment this week is to check in with God and see what you need to be fasting from. And that might be, you know, a very quiet little voice. You might not get any ideas. In that case, pick something, okay? But you want to start? One other quick little tip, I guess, is that if at all possible, pick that one thing that's absolutely most critical to you, that you think is absolutely, I can't do without blank. Try it. Father, I thank you that that there's more to the plan than simply salvation. That there's more to the Christian life than praying a prayer, receiving Jesus, and then sitting back and waiting for Him to return. And Lord, I just believe everyone here is desirous of cooperating with your plan, both on an individual basis and a group basis. And so Lord, I ask that you would touch each person here right now. That you would quicken their spirit. In fact, I just address right now everyone's spirit in this room. And I order you to come to attention now. In the holy name of Jesus. And we just open pathways now to the heavenly realms for spirit-to-spirit communication between the people's spirits in this room and the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, just speak. Speak life. Speak love into each one here. But begin showing them what you would have us do. Show us all, Lord, what you would have us do during this time period. What it is that you're asking us to lay down. And Lord, I just ask, release the power to make it happen. In Jesus' name. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would come right now and give each of us the grace first to hear your voice, to know what it is you're calling us to fast from. Lord, that you would give us the discernment to know when it's your voice and when it's the enemy's voice or our own flesh getting into the argument. And to give us the courage to quickly say, no, get down. I'm listening to God. And Lord, I thank you that you will be with us everywhere we go, but I ask especially for each of my friends here that they will be very aware of your presence in every restaurant, in every store, in every gas station, every office, every schoolroom, every home, every hospital, everywhere their feet touch, Lord, that they would be aware of your presence with them 
and of you telling them, this is your dominion. This is where I've given you to walk and display my kingdom. And Lord, I ask for an extra dose of unity and companionship, that nobody here would try to do this alone, but that everybody here would find at least one buddy to share, um, this is what I'm fasting from and this is how I'm doing. Lord, make this um, a time of excitement about experiencing you, a time of expectation of what's, gonna, what's God going to do now? Because we know you reward those who earnestly seek you, and we are earnestly seeking and desiring you, Lord. So bless our walk, Lord. Bless this time of fasting. Bless this church. Bless each person, and bless each person that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing we didn't mention, if there's someone in your family that wasn't in the room to get a booklet, they need their own booklet, so feel free to come up and get some, anybody over maybe like the age of eight or so. Um, Yes, Claire? Right, we're also um, making copies of the CD of what we just taught so that if somebody wasn't here, they can still hear it and get those points. And then the idea is to start next Monday um, on this fast. A week from tomorrow, yes, a week from tomorrow. Um, And then 40 days towards the end of February. And we will have a celebration. Not because we're celebrating this awful fast is over, but because we're celebrating that we're closer to God. We're celebrating whatever God has done during that time. Yes. That's right. We're also planning to share during the next few weeks. And so... We'd like to have some testimonies. You can share those with your community group leaders um, if you're part of the community group. If you're not, I strongly encourage you to try it out for a few weeks because that will make the fast a lot more manageable. Um, But, again, look at this as a special privilege to be able to get closer to God this way, not as something, some chore you have to do. And we're going to play some music, I think. And if anybody needs ministry, either for this fast or for anything else that has come up, or anything you're struggling with, please come to the front, and we will be happy to pray for you. And otherwise, you are released. Have a great evening. Uh, one like, real quick thing. We are having pizza with the leaders afterwards, so I've talked to a few of you about hanging out. Please uh, just let me know that you're going to stay. All right, you guys are? Okay, you guys? Uh, okay, okay, thank you. Also, just to let you know, the what's playing is specifically picked to... Con, um, to create an atmosphere conducive to surrender. And so if you've already begun that process and you want to just come soak in this, that's an open invitation as well.